Doctor, Matt's eating here. Ladies' breakfast as well, or you have that okay, September. They say sitting is killing us. In a, in a day when most jobs, or many jobs, revolve around a computer or an office, compared to a day when everybody had their own farm and chopped their own wood and was a lot more active, uh, we have been sitting too much and it's increased our chances of diabetes, obesity, etc. They say uh, watching TV for three hours or more per day, which apparently is uh, seems to be around the average, causes people to be 64% more likely to die from heart disease. And every extra hour of watching TV after those three hours gives you an 11% higher uh, death risk. A lot of offices have moved to standing desks where you stand with your eyes, the screens at the, at the level of your eyes, and you're not sitting, so you're moving around. Uh, I was talking to Alan Beck uh, a few weeks ago, and um, he had had back problems, and he moved his desk to a standing desk with a nice, soft, cushiony uh, rubber mat, and uh, has helped his back problems uh, tremendously. Um, <clears throat> But uh, uh, sitting is, 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 is something that in, in the old days, a hundred years ago, was something you did when things were done. When your work was done, then you sat down. Now we're sitting to do our work. And the um, human body isn't, just, isn't built to sit for long periods of time. <clears throat> but in Hebrews chapter 10, we have... The Lord Jesus Christ, who is sitting down because His work is done. His work is completed. I believe from this passage, we will see that nothing else can give us what we have in Christ because Jesus' work is done. He is sitting down. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11 says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. If you think about the furniture in the temple, and the furniture in the tabernacle, the altar of incense, the labor to wash. And in your mind, if you read the Leviticus and and fought through all the different parts of the furniture there, you would notice that there was not a place to sit because the priest's work was always going on. It was always continuing. There was always sacrifice. There was always sin that needed to be atoned for. And that's what he's talking about in verse 11. Every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice. But there seems to be a ring of futility to it, doesn't there? In verse 11, he says, adds this, which can never take away sins. They were never the basis of the remission or taking away of sins. They pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that did, but they were never the basis for it. Verse 12 says this, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made 
his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Nothing else can give us what we have in Christ because Christ's single sacrifice brings us, number one, total perfection. Total perfection. Notice how the author describes Christ's sacrifice bringing us total perfection. Why? Because it was for all time. It was for all time. That priest in the old day would stand daily and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. But verse 12 says, This man after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Forever. Done. Because it was for all time. But notice, not only was it a, a, a single sacrifice that brings us total perfection because it was for all time, but because it was for all sin. This man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins, forever, forever, it was for all sin. There is no sin that is not beyond the boundaries of Christ's atoning work, that beyond the, 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 the capability of his blood cleansing from that sin. It was for all sin. Thirdly, it was brings us total perfection, Christ's single sacrifice does, because it was all sufficient. It was all sufficient. Verse 12, it says, He sat down on the right hand of God. God the Father would have never let His Son sit down and say His work was finished if He had not accepted that work. It was a work that was all sufficient. It was accepted. Accepted. When was the last time you praised the Lord that God the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf? Say in the year 1847, the doctor from Edinburgh, Sir James Simpson, discovered that chloroform could be used as an anesthetic to render people uh, insensitive to the pain of, of surgery. And from his early experience, Dr. Simpson made it possible for people to go through some of the most dangerous operations without fear of pain and suffering. And some people would say that that's one of the most uh, uh, significant discoveries of modern medicine, to be able to go through medical procedures uh, painlessly. But in spite of those great accomplishments and the amazing uh, uh, discoveries that he made, Some years later, while he was lecturing at the University of Edinburgh, one of his students asked him, what do you consider to be the most valuable discovery of your lifetime? You and I would probably certainly be thinking that he would refer to chloroform. And Dr. Simpson replied, my most valuable discovery was when I discovered myself a sinner and Jesus Christ was my Savior. You know, Brian uh, spoke this morning about how we revert back to the very first things. And that's why Paul in Colossians 2 talks about the first principles uh, uh, being rooted and grounded in Christ. And I wonder when everything's taken away from you, if you will go back to the very first thing you learned, Jesus Christ and His single sacrifice. Is that the most treasured, valuable discovery you've made? Jesus Christ, my Savior, and myself, a sinner, who cast myself on Jesus. Look at the verses again. Uh, Notice that the phrase, verse 14 says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are 
sanctified. He told me that he hath perfected forever is a, is a, is a uh, perfect tense. It means it was something that occurred at a point in time and continues on. This tells us that Jesus' total uh, 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 work here, his, his total uh, perfection, perfecting work here is all-powerful because it sets us apart for God forever. You know, when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, <clears throat> Jesus Christ laid claim on your soul. And in a sense, Jesus Christ pledges you His life. And in a sense, our response to the Lord Jesus is to pledge our life back to Him, just as you, who are married, did at your wedding vows. I take you, Jesus. I mean, my beloved groom. And Jesus' work on the cross was Jesus offering you Himself. Jesus' work was all-powerful. This verse says, by the which, uh, verse 10 says, By the which will we are sanctified or set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Verse 14 reminds us again, For by one offering He hath perfected, completed, finished the work forever, them that are sanctified. Jesus' work was all-powerful. And do you know that out of what God has done for us, the Gospel... That we don't grow, go on to bigger and better things. As Brian said, we move deeper into Christ. And we cooperate with Him to become more like Him. There is a sense in this setting apart here that has three phases. It's called sanctification. It has three phases. Positionally, when you are saved on the cross, you are set apart from God, for God, for all time. But there's also the present work of sanctification, isn't there? Where we are to continually offer our bodies a living sacrifice. There's a progressive work. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, As we look into the mirror of God's Word, as we look into the glass of His Word, we're to see Christ and we're to be changed degree by degree. That's progressive sanctification. We work out of the Gospel. But there's also a future work. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 tells us that there is a glorifying that will occur. When Jesus' work comes to full fruition, not just positionally, but experientially as well. The work of Jesus is essential for us. And we have nothing if we do not have Jesus' single sacrifice. It gives us the total perfection. And... Verses 15 through 18 tells us it gives us a total cleansing. A total cleansing. Look at verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before. So now the writer of Hebrews is going to include another Old Testament quote to back up what he said in verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And just by way of review, remembering what, what, what he is comparing this offering of Christ to. The old covenant under Moses, which needed many priests, which needed many sacrifices, which had lots of reputation, which could never accomplish the taking away of sins. In comparison to Jesus, 
And he's reminding these Hebrew believers that would have been tempted to go back to Judaism, uh, to, 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 a, to a system that, that um, uh, looked forward to a finished work, but still participated in an unfinished work. It reminds them that Jesus has done it all. You don't need to go back to that. You have the cash in the bank. That was a check that represented what the future cash looked like. Jesus is the deposit, the full deposit. That check was the Old Testament system uh, that, 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 that uh, uh, represented what would come down the line through a promise of society. Jesus has come, and Jesus has offered himself. In verses 15 uh, through 18 here, he brings us back to the new covenant that he's talked about in chapter 9, and chapter 8, and he tells, he's telling us this, if there were not a new covenant, excuse me, if there was a new covenant promised by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, then it means that we wouldn't need an old one. Verse 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And here's his point in verses 18. Here's his commentary on that. Remember how Jeremiah says, Their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more? Well, Jeremiah in the new covenant says, Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And that means there's forgiveness, there's remission. And if there is remission, forgiveness, and God has chosen on the basis of the new covenant, Jesus says, by the way, was ratified in his blood at the cross. And that means that there's no more need for additional offerings, is there? And if there's no more need for additional offerings, there's no more need for the old covenant under Moses' law, is what he's saying. Verse 18, now where mission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There's no need of it. One single sacrifice. Jesus paid it all. So verses 15 through 18, we have the promise through Jesus of total cleansing. We'll start with the, the, the back couple verses here. Verses 17 and 18 tells us we have total cleansing because of full forgiveness. Full forgiveness. You know... <clears throat> That Old Testament system could never get to the heart, could it? And there are many passages in the Old Testament where he says, I don't desire your sacrifices because you're not doing coming, coming with the right motives. Uh, you could sacrifice thousands of rams. But what I want is a heart that wants to walk humbly with God. And they could go through the motions, but they never get to the inside. But this new covenant here, notice in verse 16, he says, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, not on stone tablets, but in the fleshy tablets of their hearts. And Jesus gives total cleansing because of full forgiveness, because it reaches to the core of your being, your heart. Jesus washes hearts, consciences clean. He cleanses consciences. He removes sin. He can forgive because He does not held our sins against us. And the writer is saying, then, if God in the New Covenant says sins are not remembered, then that means sacrifices are not necessary. Which means that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. It was sufficient. 
They say when the Moravian missionaries in the 1800s first went to the Eskimos, they couldn't find a word in the Eskimo language for forgiveness. So they they, they made a compound one. And it turned out to be a word that's about this long. And I can't even pronounce, but I'll do my best. It's a formal-looking assembly of letters. But it has an expression... For those who understood what that word means, it means not being able to think about it anymore. Forgiveness. You know, that's what this verse says, isn't it? Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. What is the most vile thing you have ever done? Jesus' blood, upon faith in that, God says, I do not hold that against you. I do not hold that over you. Because Ephesians 4.32 says, God, for Christ's sake, for the sake of Christ, has forgiven you. He's forgiven you. If you have an accident or a ticket after a certain amount of years, they wipe that off your record. Jesus as the instant repentance and faith ultimately not because of your repentance and faith but on the basis of Christ's work your repentance and faith give access to that, right? On the basis of Christ's work Jesus wipes that clean in an instant it's called justification where God looks at you as though you've never sinned as though you have never sinned And as though you have always obeyed. That's justification because it looks at you through His Son, Christ. And on the basis of Christ's work, He can say, Your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Do you have a sin that's plaguing you? That you have truly confessed? It is not the Lord bringing that up again. He's forgotten. And by forgotten, he means he has chosen not to remember. He's chosen not to hold that over you. The righteousness of God, that the blood of Christ has, has, has instituted and paid the price for and given, gives you forgiveness and cleansing. Total cleansing. Now I understand our experiences may be different. And that's why Paul tells us to walk worthy of what of the vocation where we've been called. To have your experience line up with the positional truths of the gospel. They say Clara Barton was the most forgiving person anybody knew. And one of her co-workers brought up an occasion where somebody had wronged her. And they asked, she asked Clara... Uh, if she remembered that person's wrong against Clara. And Clara's response was, no, but I distinctly remembering forgetting it. And so it is with the Lord. An all-knowing God does not have lapses of memory, but He has chosen not to remember it. Our sins are eternally blotted out, deleted, erased, No record. The hard drive has been wiped clean because Christ took that hard drive and paid the penalty for it.
And it gives you a clean slate. Copernicus, uh, who discovered, um, well, became known for making it uh, more and more uh, uh, reasonable to the so-called science world that the, uh, that the uh, earth revolved around the sun rather than the sun revolving the earth. He was a great mathematician. And his studies and calculations really revolutionized the thinking of mankind about the universe. And when he lay dying, one of his uh, a book called The Revolution of the Heavenly Bodies was placed in his hands. It had just been printed. And as he was laying dying, he saw things in great perspective. And he saw himself not as this great scholar and astronomer that he was in his day. But he saw all that stripped away from him and he only saw himself as a sinner in need of a savior. And after he died on his tombstone at his grave at Fraunberg, are carved the following words that he chose for his epitaph. He said, I do not seek a kindness equal to that given to Paul, nor do I ask the grace granted to Peter, but that forgiveness which thou didst grant to the robber that earnestly I crave. Now the good news, God's given you as much grace as He's given Paul. As much mercy as He gave Peter and kindness. It's because of His forgiveness. And friends, this forgiveness and cleansing, total cleansing, that the Word of God says their sins and inequities will I remember no more, gives you Incredible security gives you incredible peace, incredible freedom, incredible power. That God can see me as He sees His beloved Son. I can walk in that. But look at verse 15 and 16 of Hebrews chapter 10. When he introduces this covenant, the writer of Hebrews um, uh, kind of compiles a hodgepodge of the verses of Jeremiah 31. But he adds these verses in 15 and 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. You know, if... In verses 17 through 18, he's told us that God gives us total cleansing, that our sins are eternally blotted out because of full inward forgiveness. We have a cleansed conscience and remove sin. The deleting part of it, verses 15 and 16 tell us that God gives us total cleansing because he gives us his full righteousness as well. It's full righteousness. We just sang a song. Uh, uh, Rock of Ages where Augustus top lady said, said, be of sin the double pure. And he talks about the taking away of sin and the making me pure. The making me pure. The taking away from sin is the forgiveness, right? Which puts us back, uh, takes, our, takes our debt away, puts, puts us back to zero. The making pure is the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, which gives us a credit of infinity. The righteousness of Christ. 
And verse 15 and 16 alludes to that. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Now, why would he put God's laws into our hearts, and, 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 and why would he write, uh, write them in our minds? Just so they're up there? No. Because he's given us a new heart to obey. He's given us the full righteousness of Christ, and out of that we obey. He has fitted us in righteous robes. Those throne room scenes in the book of Revelation. Picture the saints of God as clothed in white robes of righteousness. Robes that they didn't earn. One of Jesus' parables explains. Our robes which were given by the Master. We are fitted in the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, we have the power to live the gospel because of new hearts. No, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. Which is why John, in the epistle of John, says we need to go back to the gospel and remind ourselves that forgiveness is found there. Through his blood. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If anyone says he's not a sinner, he's a liar. At the same time, God has declared us saints. You know, God calls the church at Corinth, as messed up as they were, saints, set-apart ones, the righteous. Because that's how we saw them positionally. Now, their experience needed to match up with that. That's why Paul's letter was written. But 15 and 16 in these verses tell us we have total cleansing because of full righteousness. And because of verses like 2 Corinthians 5.21... You've made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of what? God in him. God can look at his children and he can say, They are my righteousness. They are my righteousness. That's pretty humbling. Because I don't feel like God's righteousness. And I certainly don't measure up. But friends, that's why the writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus is the centerpiece. He is my righteousness. And he makes me God's righteousness. Now our work, our cooperation in this is to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and pursue godliness, isn't it? That's our work. That's the experience part. That's the progressive sanctification, degree by degree. But friends, that is only true because of our position in Christ. On the basis of this passage, we have total perfection. Sanctified, set apart. And we have total cleansing because of Jesus once and for all sacrifice. And that's why in the next verse he says this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. Because of this, you have boldness to enter to the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated forth through the veil that is to say his flesh. 
And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promise. It's on the basis of the permanent reality of Christ's finished work that I can hold fast and go on today. And let us consider one another to provoke the love and the good works. Let's tell each other about this. Let's stop talking to ourselves and let's start preaching to ourselves. And let's encourage each other about what we have in Christ. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. In other words, everything that I've said, the writer is saying, about Jesus is enough for you to go day to day, moment by moment, second by second, living in the power of Jesus in the Spirit. Let's pray.